You got 18 minutes. You're gonna make it over there. You're gonna find the rabbit's foot, get back to the roof, radio me when you're ready to make the jump, and we're gonna come get you. Better up. Hey, welcome to episode 28 of the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. Today, as part of our very special episode, we are reviewing the Tom Cruise epic Mission Impossible 3. So without further ado, take it away, Mr. Brosnan. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Ilya Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. You expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! <laughs> Recording from an undisclosed location somewhere in a swanky party at the Vatican? It's a Central Intelligence Cinema podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. Man, I've got all the warm and fuzzies. Jason is with me at the undisclosed location. We are here. We are here, sitting opposite each other, not virtually. It's great. It's no more stuff. Brady Bunch for us. That's right. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes. <laughs> Get on a bunch of them Zoom calls with people, and you're like, dun, 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 dun. here's a story <laughs> of a bunch of people. And then everybody should start looking down and, exactly. and to their left and to their right. <laughs> and you're like, who gets to be Alice? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it, love it, love it. But yes, welcome back to the CIC. We got another humdinger for you. A humdinger. That's right. We're getting Abrams as fuck. That's right. It's not nearly as cool as woo as fuck. No, but, not uh, quite. It wasn't cool enough to uh, warrant me uh, going back to post-production and creating a button for it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? This movie did feel... Abrams as fuck. It very much did. It was probably yes. the closest thing to a Spielberg spy movie I've ever seen in my life. That wasn't Munich. Yes, I know that was a spy movie, but nevertheless. Yes, but I will say that uh, it was not Spielbergy in the way that it was shot, but we'll get into that. Definitely. <laughs> but yes, we are here to talk about Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, I'm excited. I have to say right off the bat that um, I did not have warm and fuzzy feelings about this movie prior to watching it. Now, I will say, after watching it and going through my notes with it, I was pleasantly surprised. And the further I got into it, the more I liked it. And see, and it's funny because for me, this had always been my favorite one of the Mission Impossible movies. Right. And then watching it again, oh, it's no. been a while. I'm like, this is this is garbage. <laughs> I mean, it's not garbage, but it did not hold up to what my memory remi or was in my head of what this movie was. So, so we both, you know, I got... Uh -huh. I, I went higher and you went lower and we met somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, more or less. <laughs> more or less. Before we get into the particulars, how do you rank your uh, Mission Impossible movies? Well, number one is at the bottom. <laughs> I'm going to say number seven is at the top, even though I haven't seen it. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of these movies because uh -huh. I probably watched them in the theater, watched them once with Netflix or okay. something like that. And then occasionally we'll revisit. Right. But the fact the fact that I haven't seen this since it probably released on direct mm -hmm. or in video back when it came out right. says something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say if I were ranking the movies, they probably all go down in line from the most recent to the first one. Okay. Because the stunts get better. The effects get better. The storylines don't get any better. It's still the same stupid. We've got six planned stunts. Right. Write a story around it thing. Yeah. It's just the stunts got better. That's true. That so is very that's true. why I'm anticipating eight's going to be my favorite. Seven will be my second well, favorite. Well, see, I think there's going to be sort of a bell curve with stunts because oh, as no. Tommy. I mean, yes, we, we have both come to the agreement that Tom Cruise is regenerated with every movie, but. 
I think those regenerations are starting to fractal out a little bit. Well, if he's like Doctor Who, after number eight, he only has four left. Yeah. So it's so if he's a Time Lord, he really needs to be thinking about, yeah. you know. And that's, I think, with the problem is I think Tom is starting to face his own mortality. And he's like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die for what I love. Right. So he just keeps making these stunts even wackier till he gets the one where he dies. Right. I I. I'm just happy that eight is his last one for his sake. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> this whole thing about shooting a movie in outer space. Oh my God. I know. What is he thinking? I think he's, he's thinking it's going to, he's thinking it's going to happen is what he's thinking because he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> Cause he's 60, right? Is he uh, 60 I think he's, fi- he's 60 this year, I think. Okay. But okay. come on. I mean, let's face it. Uh, if he goes to space, that's the ultimate way to go out, right? I mean, it kind of is. I mean, if you're going to go out, go out in space. You know, he's, <laughs> he's coming down with the with the capsule, you know, and the, the, the dragon, SpaceX dragon capsule coming down. <laughs> it's just him on there. It's like, we're having a problem, Mr. Cruz. You're going to burn up in orbit. He's like, crank up the Top Gun theme. I'm going out in style. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Well, if I had to, I'm. I must admit, I've, I've over the past couple of years, I've really become more of a of a mission nerd, and uh, especially in the past year, for some reason, maybe it's this podcast. I don't know, but I think if I had to rank mine, I think I would go number one for me is Ghost Protocol. That's my favorite. I think after that would probably be Fallout, then Rogue Nation, then. Probably one, and then I would probably do two, believe it or not, <laughs> because it's two is so wacky that I kind of loved it for its wackiness. And then, unfortunately, I would have this movie that we're about to rank at the bottom of that because it's there's just something it's not very cinematic to me, but we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. You know, my biggest problem with this movie is, is I the only parts I found compelling were the Tom Cruise, Michelle Monaghan lovey-dovey parts, you know, where they were actually acting. Right, right, right. You know, you got this feeling that, and I mean, if Tom Cruise looks in your eyes like that, you're going to fall in love no matter what. (laughs) I can't imagine it's hard to act that. (laughs) But, you know, just the little little vignettes that they were having together where they were exploring this relationship, I'm like, I wanted the movie to be that with like two stunts. (laughs) This one just felt like we have to cram in everything we can. And, and I mean... It never slows down. It never does. It never slows down. It's just down. one set piece to the next set piece to the next set piece with the occasional. Mwah, mwah. Yeah. You have to trust me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the uh, the particulars, shall we? All right. Stand by to go live on my mark. Five. You have a wife, girlfriend? Four. Three. Whoever she is, I'm going to find her. Two. I'm going to hurt her. One. And then I'm gonna kill you right in front of her. Agent confirmed. Welcome back, brother. It's Hunt. I know it's Hunt. Go, 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 go! Okay, Mission Impossible 3, released in 2006, directed by J.J. Abrams of J.J. Abrams fame. Need I say more? Um, at the time that he took this gig, uh, he was only known for his TV work, uh, specifically Lost in Alias, which the latter, Alias, uh, Tom Cruise had been binging, supposedly, and subsequently tapped Abrams to take over where uh, Joe Carnahan had left off. And that's a, that sort of leads us into this thing. It is fascinating, the development of this movie, because it is it changed hands, changed directors, rather, three different times it changed casts it's been through this movie was through the ringer before it ever was even made so like mission impossible seven so like every mission impossible movie really for the most part (laughs) i mean i even found out recently that prior to going after john woo tom cruise had a meeting with uh what is his name one car Y or or (laughs) that's what happens when i go off the cuff i just get in trouble Um, But essentially, in 2002, Fincher, David Fincher, was slated to direct the next installment for a summer of 2004 release date. However, Fincher dropped out in favor of a different film, later citing creative differences, imagine that, over the direction of the series. And then replacing Fincher was director Joe Carnahan, who worked on developing the film for 15 months before leaving. That sucks. Under his involvement, the film was to feature Kenneth Branagh, 
playing a guy who was sort of based on Timothy McVeigh. Yikes. As well as Carrie Ann Moss and Scarlett Johansson um, were going to be in other roles, as well as they were going to try and bring Tandy Newton back to reprise her role as uh, Naya from Mission 2. But she declined. And then her role, Naya's role, was changed to a new character named Leah Quint, who would have been played by Carrie Ann Moss. And was the granddaughter of Quint from Jaws, maybe? (laughs) Have you ever looked into Tom Cruise's eyes? (laughs) they're like a doll's eyes dead eyes so um, however once J.J. Abrams took over directing the project uh, the character was scrapped so basically after a dispute with over the film's tone Carnahan quit in July of 2004 and this is exactly why I probably would have, if I would have been Joe Carnahan, I probably would have quit too, because I feel like this movie has an issue with tone, big time. Between the tone and the photography, those are the, my two big things that I'm not crazy about in this movie, even though there are a lot of things that I will bring up that I really do like about this movie, but those two <laughs> things uh, needed some work. Tom Cruise then contacted JJ, offering the, the directorial role after having watched Alias, apparently. And um, Abrams ultimately signed on and production was delayed a year due to his contractual obligations with Alias and Lost. And because of that, during that time, Branagh, Moss, and and Scarlett Johansson all departed from the project because of all the delays. And finally, on June 8th, 2005, Paramount Pictures gave the film the green light after a new cast of actors was hired. Is it really new if you're bringing back Ving Rhames? <laughs> well, I mean, you do have some. You do it, have a lot it, of new people. They were really the only recurrings. That's true. It's just Ving. It's Ving and Tom. Yeah. Tom and Ving. Tom and Ving. That's all you really need to make a mission movie. Although I would argue at this point, you need two others. But well, you you definitely need uh, your Simon Pegg. You, you need your Simon Pegg at this point. He was he's, like, he was like the highlight of this entire he movie to me. He was. He was the best part. <laughs> he was the best part. Um. <laughs> anyway, so they hired all you know all the all the people that we that are in this movie now, and uh, in addition to that, the film's budget was redeveloped, and Cruz took a major pay cut, which is sad considering this movie was the least successful of all the mission movies. Yeah, but I have to wonder if this is where he started getting that that pay for play deal that he's got, or the, the it could have been per dollar, and he probably lost out on this one. Well, and this is also right around the time that his little incident on Oprah happened mm-hmm. and his uh, star value was starting to drop a bit a because, bit. Of, because of the, some of shenanigans. The that... big couch short circuit. Boy, <laughs> this programmers were real upset with that when that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all that was going on during this, so which makes a lot of sense why this one you know, wasn't quite up to snuff. But really, the first three aren't up to snuff to, to against the latter three, so... Anyway, uh, writing, the actual writing credit on IMDb goes to Alex Kurtzman, who uh, worked on Star Trek, Transformers 1 and 2, and the really, really bad Mummy movie with Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes, yes, um, also, uh, Roberto Orchi, who worked on many of the same things as Kurtzman yeah. and J.J. Abrams. They're his constant collaborators. Yeah. Kurtzman, yeah. Orsi, Abrams. Orsi. My apologies um, fact, to Mr. Fact, Orsi. At least one of each of them was available, evolved in Alias and Lost. Okay. And has been on just about any movie that JJ's done in some capacity. Right. As far as photography goes, the director of photography was Dan Mendel, who did Spy Game um, and Enemy of the State. It's funny. He's got some experience in shooting spy movies. And yet. And yet. But I do have a... a I'm pretty sure that my my biggest problem with this movie, as far as photography goes, is probably not because of Dan Mendel. I think it's because of JJ. Because JJ was just coming from TV. This was his first foray into film. So he shot it like how he knew how to shoot it, which is for TV, but that's a lot closer. It's tighter. Mm -hmm. And he sort of neglected the opportunities to make it more cinematic. Yeah. And, And for me, that's where I have a problem with this movie. If you go back and watch, like half of the action scenes are so tight are so close. There's no big, there's no big shots until really until like the third act when you go to Shanghai. That's true. And then you finally start seeing seeing some of those bigger shots. But for the most part, 
I feel like everything is shot like it's shot for TV where he wants to see faces because that's what you want to see in TV. TV. Yeah, fav- absolutely. Because small people, you can't see them. Right. At least you couldn't back in 2005. <laughs> um, right, exactly. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you on that. But I also think that some of these set pieces they created kind of limited themselves to what you can do that's true. in a wide environment. When you're shooting action scenes in a warehouse, you know, yeah. when you... When you when and you're on, and you're probably on a limited budget. You right. probably don't have the whole thing fleshed out to look exactly the way it needs to look. Well, plus you're working with a guy who's notorious for saying, "What if we did this instead?" In the <laughs> middle of what they're doing. Yeah. And so, how much of that is Tom Cruise driving JJ's bus for him when JJ's trying to take the wheel back? That's an excellent point I mean, as well. Cruise works with a lot of first timey directors. So, so he can take the so he can take the wheel. <laughs> okay. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. You know, yeah. uh, um, what's his face? Uh, uh, and it's very hard to deny Tom Cruise right. anything that he wants. Richard Marquand directed Return of the Jedi, and George Lucas, air quotes, produced the movie. Right. But George was on set every day. So you know who was really So you directing. know who was really directing. George just didn't want to be bothered with the nuts and bolts of it. Right. But it's my franchise. It's my movie. We're going to do it this way. Now go do what I said. So basically, he was the first, first assistant director. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that George Lucas was producer on that movie. Because on this movie, Tom Cruise did have a producer Like serious credit. producer he credit. Had a pro- yeah, not an executive producer credit, but an actual producer credit. Mm-hmm. Which means he probably, well, he obviously, he's the star of the movie. He's on set every day. But, right. but he's clearly driving a lot of the ship. Yes. So... Uh, the budget for the movie was $150 million, with uh, Tom Cruise taking a significant pay cut, despite having producer credits. The movie made just under $400 million worldwide at the box office. Uh, domestically, however, it did pretty bad, considering it's a Mission Impossible movie, um, at $133,500. That so. can't be right. That's that's what well okay well it did not make only one hundred thirty three thousand dollars or one hundred thirty three million I'm thank sorry. thank you my bad <laughs> sorry you needed to add a couple zeros there and I forgot I yeah I did I there's there's a comma there but there's no zero. if this movie had made one hundred thirty three thousand dollars five hundred over its entire release in the United States there would not have been a Mission Impossible four my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise would be that guy we were talking. Remember that guy? Remember that guy, Tom Cruise? Hey, you Cruise? know, I just saw this Wasn't commercial. I just saw Gun? this commercial for reverse mortgages <laughs> with that guy from that Top Gun movie. You remember that? <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> so music, uh, we had Michael uh, Giacchino, I believe is how it's pronounced. I'll run with that. Okay. Um, he's a frequent JJ collaborator, by the way. Ah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, he's done lots of Pixar and animated stuff. He did the music for Up, so he's he's got some chops. He also did the music for Rogue One, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And again, every JJ movie, I think, for the most part. Right. And I definitely think that it works for me in a lot of areas, especially the second and third act. But again, this movie has tonal issues. And and what I the reason I bring that up here in the music is that the very first scene in this movie is so dark mm-hmm. and so gloomy that to go from that into a very sparkly, shiny, kind of fun mm-hmm. Mission Impossible theme, I felt was way off the mark. Well, what were you going to do? You were going to do Mission Impossible in minor keys? I mean, that's that's the thing. I know. that's the, Well, that's the curse of Mission Impossible. That's the is, cult curse of cold openings that's, in a world where people have, movies have to have theme songs. That's true. But see, Bond figured out a way around that by just having different songs sort of kick yeah. off the theme of, of any individual movie. Yes, you've got the James Bond theme, but that's not... What you hear after your your cold open? That's true, but James Bond didn't start off as a TV show. That's true. So That's true. You know, you're kind of stuck with that in your mission's head. kind of hamstrung. It, it it really is a little bit. And I think, and that was one thing too. Um, I've listened to some interviews with uh, Christopher McQuarrie, where he talks about how other directors who have been interviewed for the job of mission director have literally asked, do we have to use the theme song? Oh, no. And and that's like, the thing is, is directors that ask that question, they're out. Right. They're gone. They, you'll never see them. They'll never direct a mission movie if, if that's one of their questions to right. the producers. But 
I understand that question given how this movie starts. You know, I would have wanted to try to, I don't know, just have it reorchestrated, maybe start it slow, Mm -hmm. maybe even bring that theme in as the scene is going on. And then you can kick into the bigger parts of it after after you get through the shock of this thing. Right. Or or you just you abandon the whole cold opening. Although that is also part of the TV show. Yeah. So but you abandon that, you start with the blitty blitty blop blop blop. Right. And then instead of just cutting to them being in this situation, you have an establishment that gets them into this situation. Right. Yeah. Um and that's not again, JJ was shooting it like a gigantic TV show. Yeah. Right? Cuz what there else did he know how to do? Right. Now, I got to say, the music on this, very subtle use of bongo drums. Thank you for that. It's the equivalent <laughs> of a bond trumpet, really. Right. Or a bass guitar, a couple of chords on a bass guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you didn't feel like you were going to beat up with Mission Impossible all the way through. Absolutely, absolutely. The funny thing was, some very, I heard some very, there was some very bondy sounding music when they're in the warehouse. Okay. Like the first the first scene? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you could hear some overtones. But what cracked me up, second run through on this film, when Cruz is up on the building getting ready to, to jump, uh-huh. and they're the, it, it's the Batman scene because, you know, it's the helicopter yes. scene, yes. bringing it around Tom. I swear to God, I heard an Austin Powers. Da-da-da! And I'm like, what? I rewound it. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that's what that was. <laughs> so, you know, Michael Giacchino bringing in a little bit of the extra spy stuff, but uh, maybe not necessarily doing it to the point where it's detrimental to the film. Yeah. Much better use of the theme song than the last movie, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for Which sure. I know you had a problem with the music from number two anyway. Yeah. Because it yeah. was everywhere. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. It was so rock and roll, too. Yeah. Like, uh, it yeah. was, you know, basically was, woo as fuck. Yes. And so, you know. <laughs> Very woo as fuck, indeed. <laughs> I actually did like the music. It's funny you bring up the scene, the big swing scene, because... That was one of the areas where I actually really liked the music in there, mm-hmm. especially after he lands on the top of the building and he's sliding towards the edge. I was literally found myself like tense, and I'm pretty sure it was mainly the music that got me there. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the man, the man knows how to do music. He don't, does. Don't, you know, he does. Uh, I think he's just, he's very good at not only doing his own stuff, but I think he's very accomplished at taking other people's music. Mm-hmm. styles yes and integrating them into something new right you know yeah. everybody knows what a john williams soundtrack sounds like it's very easy to throw in a piccolo here mm-hmm. and a french horn there right but to do it in a way that sounds like he wrote it that's a mad skill yeah and he kind of i i really appreciate people that can do that and i feel like those are the people that succeed the most in mission films where they don't put their fingerprint on it, but they do create something original, but it feels like it's mission. It it right. feels signature mission without putting your your signature all over it. Right, and Bond movies are the same way. Right. They live and die by how they can integrate what's come before it. Yes, you know, absolutely. If it's a complete homage, it sucks. Yeah. If it completely disregards everything, it sucks. But when you can find that balance, mm-hmm. it's fantastic because... You get those little cues like, it's still a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's like the scene in Skyfall when when he pulls off the tarp on the DB5 uh-huh. in the garage, and exactly. then you get the theme. And, and, and then you just go back to being uh, Skyfall's right. theme. So, yeah, exactly. It's all good. So, uh, acting-wise, obviously, Tom Cruise is back as usual, being pretty Tom cruise in this one. A little less Tom cruise than MI2. But he's still definitely pretty, especially in that first scene after the cold open. Mm-hmm. He's very Tom Cruise in that scene. Oh God! He, all I kept seeing was cocktail in that one. <laughs> yeah, you just all you all you needed was him behind a, yeah, shaking a <laughs> shaking a cocktail shaker and throwing shit around and <laughs> and flirting with all of all of Julia's friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> so speaking of which, uh, Julia, played by uh, Michelle Monaghan. I really liked her in it. Uh, I feel like, you know, this is 2000, what, five? Yeah. 2006. 2006. So this was really, we certainly know Tom Cruise has a type. Yes. And uh, Michelle Monaghan fits right into Tom Cruise's type. It sure seems like it. So, I mean, <laughs> Michelle Monaghan was Katie Holmes before 
Katie Holmes was Katie Holmes. <laughs> so anyway, feel, you know, just yeah, an observation. It's me, just an observation. Part of me has to wonder when he's not involved with somebody else. If he just has relationships with his actresses during the thing, it's like, so this is going to happen. <laughs> You're the love interest. And so for the length of the movie, we're going to act, we're going to method act like we're the love we're interest. We're going to really need to go full method on into this. Into the whole thing. Doesn't mean we have to have sex, but, you know, when we're in public, it's the whole thing. Because <laughs> we need to bond. That's right. We need to be, we need to be cohesive. We need people to believe it. That's right. <laughs> so... In addition to Julie, we have uh, Lindsay Ferris, uh, played by Carrie Russell, yep. who I really liked. Um, completely underused in this movie. Completely underused, because she's such a fantastic actress. Yep. And she's really nice to look at. Holy cow. Well, not with that eyeball she wasn't, but yeah. <laughs> well, oh, oh, God, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, Zen, played by Maggie Q, also underused. But, yeah, man. But she... She played her part. She did. Maggie Q, otherwise known as Michelle Yo Light. <laughs> so, um, other major characters, we, of course, have Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen Davian. What a highlight, man. Like is- Christopher Walken, killed before the potential could be tapped. Yeah, I mean... Holy cow. I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, if, if he- Do you think if, he played Tom Cruise better than Tom Cruise? I kind of did. Right? That was one of those, that was one of the things as I was watching and I'm like, my God, he can do Tom Cruise better than Tom Cruise can. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then of course, you know, we have the meats man, Ving Rhames. That's right. He's back. Luther is in the building, people. Pay respect. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we've got Musgrave, played by Billy uh, Crudup. Um, That's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, he played his role fine. Yeah, he did his thing. Um, and then we have uh, Theodore Brassel, uh, pray- played by uh, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Are we sure this isn't Basil? <laughs> Theodore Brassel? I don't know. It was or Basil? <laughs> All I just kept expecting was to clip the little glasses on his nose. <laughs> right. Mr. Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> he is the one. <laughs> so, uh, but I actually liked Lawrence Fishburne in this quite a bit. He 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 was very... He, he was a our, one-dimensional character that had dimension. Yes. Right? Yes, you know? very much so. Because whatever it was that he did, it sort of made you believe that he could have been bad, but he also could have just been a hard ass. He played this very Shakespearean, and I think that's what did it. He was over the top enough to not be annoying, but enough for you thinking, oh, maybe it's braggadocio, maybe he's covering something up. Right. But, but you never quite you know never for sure. You're never quite sure. So it actually is effective in sort of throwing you off who the real villain is. Yes, exactly. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, Benji! Whee! Simon Pegg, finally. Uh, we're finally into the good mission movies. Yeah. I mean, ish. The transitional good movie. It gets better when he gets more dialogue, but let's face it, his dialogue was amazing. Yeah. It goes <laughs> yeah. with the whole thing about his college professor. Oh, just I know. Like- <laughs> well, when you have a MacGuffin as big as the rabbit's foot, uh-huh. you need you need some stories like yeah. that to you, go You need something with. to ground it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Brownway, creepily played by Eddie Marson. I just had to bring it up because he's- Well, he's the first person you see. Yeah. And I'm like, Eddie! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Should we uh, get into the uh, the mains? Let's do it. All right, so the pre-title sequence. So we get this very short but very effective, um, but again, so dark. So dark, this, this pre-title sequence, where immediately we just get close-ups of <laughs> Tom Cruise bloodied and he's all tied up and he's just got a a thing put into his head and his wife who we don't even know is his wife yet sitting across from him and she's all tied up and we've got philip seymour hoffman there being menacing as fuck (laughs) um and uh yeah i just it's a very effective thing for him to be trying to convince davian not to not to kill her and it's done really well i appreciate though that in the pre-titled there's no music that they play it dry and so that really helps to sell how dead serious this is right but god damn it is it such a like flip of a coin from the moment he shoots a woman in the head point blank to (laughs) it's like come on 
There's just no way around it's it. It's just uh, even the Edge couldn't have made a version of that song that would have fit where it was at. Honestly, I would have gotten rid of that little and I just would have gone into and and done it slower. Just something. That's just. I mean, I know it's it's really easy to play. You know, armchair quarterback or but just, work with me here. Okay, maybe you stop just short of him pulling the trigger. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that would help. Would have helped keep it from being quite when so... When he goes to 10? Yeah, and then... Cut to the music. You don't hear the shot. You just hear Tom Cruise go, no, and then the music comes in. Or just go, 10. Yeah, it was that sudden, quick, immediate violence Yes, that throws it off That's, of the, the jaunty mm-hmm. little theme at the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, if it had jumped into Skyfall, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, now, I will say, I will say that I appreciate the fact that, given how dark the pre-title is, that the mission gra- title graphics they don't have what they do in almost all the other movies, which is do that little super tease of mm-hmm. what's going to happen the in the montage, movie. Yeah. They got rid of that for this movie and just have titles over a burning fuse. Right. So that at least is good. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe G's like, this has got to be the, the compromise we make here. Right, exactly. So title graphics are nothing really to say. No, there's nothing fancy about mm, them. They're, they're, you could tell they're Mission Possible. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So, uh, act one. So, I'm just going to tell you this. Now, I know you love this part of it. I hate this fucking scene. I hate it. It feels like an episode of Melrose Place or some shit. Or maybe, you know, a Felicity. Yeah. Another G.J. Uh-huh. Abrams joint. Mm-hmm. It's just too, like... Oh, yeah, with the toast and the... Uh, oh, it's just... Oh, uh, he's so dreamy. Yeah, I'd, I'd marry, marry him. I'd marry him, too. Also, like, oh, there's God. your Greg Grunberg connection right there. You know, Grunberg's in virtually every movie that Abrams does as well because they're really close friends. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so get that Grunberg in and out in a hurry. Boom, boom. <laughs> so, yeah, not a, not a big fan of that. But anyway, so we see... Uh, we basically find out that Ethan's retired from the field and he's now training recruits. And during this silly party where we find out that he's that he's engaged or whatever, uh, we figure out that Ethan can read lips. Okay, and I'm going to stop you because this was the dumbest thing ever, right? I, I remember watching this and I, I turned to my wife and I'm like, you know, the whole scene where he later on where this becomes relevant to right. the story. yeah. You could have understood that he was reading lips just by focusing in on Billy Crudup's lips. Right. You didn't need this whole kind of, I can, can he hear us? What? I'm like, that's not too obvious that there's something more to this guy than what he is. Right. But whatever. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for thinking that your average audience can't understand what lip reading is, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. They really, they punched it in real, real hard. But that's, again, that's another TV thing. TV right. always beats you over the head with stuff like this so that you remember it. Yeah, it's like reading comic books. The first three pages of every comic book is a recap of what happened in the previous comic right. book. It's annoying. Yeah. So, <laughs> also though, can you really read lips from like 20 feet away behind a pane of glass? Well, we are I mean, talking about Tom Cruise. That's true. He's got probably, you know, what is what is above 2020 vision? Like he's 2010? Got like 2010, or, 2010, 2005. Yeah, he's... I think he's just like twenty zero zero. I think they classified him completely different than he was. Got eagle eyes, <laughs> so he could see like a small animal from like eight miles up or something. <laughs> so yeah, so so then he gets the phone call, and of course, oh, I gotta go to the I gotta go to the store for some ice. Well, I love how <laughs> you, just, you see that quick scene of him throwing the ice out in the backyard. <laughs> so so he goes to Seven Eleven to meet Musgrave. And, how many times do you think Tom Cruise has been in a 7-Eleven in his life? Never. So this is like the first and only time Tom Cruise I bet Cruise it was such a, like a fun novelty for him. He probably like got all giddy about it. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you if, you if that 7-Eleven is still up and running wherever they film it, oh, there's you know, probably- Oh, plaque. There's like the, the, where his feet were, they outlined him mm-hmm. like they did in the moon missions when they come oh, back on the Jesus. ship. Yeah. You Tom know Cruise it. stood here looking at red vines. <laughs> So Musgrave is sort of, you know, talking, but not actually looking at Ethan because they're they're in different aisles, but they're sort right, of looking they're behind at each other, facing back, facing each other. Right. They're back facing each other and joking about slurpy sizes. <laughs> so 
So from there, he sort of talks about what the mission is involving rescuing Lindsay. And he figured since that was one of his, you know, recruits or trainees that Tom would be interested in be joining the team or whatever. Right. And so as Musgrave is walking out of the, out of the seven level, he's like, be sure to take some pictures on your, on your honeymoon and flicks the little Instamatic camera. And mm-hmm. I, Totally didn't even realize they still had Instamatic cameras in 2006 or now yeah, for yeah, that yeah, matter. Yeah, they still got them now. Nobody so. uses them <laughs> unless their phone's broken. Right. Or you it's know, just really cool and trendy to have them. Well, I think the only place you see them anymore is at places where you're actually vacationing, right? Right. Like they're in gift shops in Vegas and you can get them at Disneyland. I wonder if it's one of those things where people lose their phone and they're so desperate to continue to take pictures while on vacation yes, that they exactly. buy them. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, this is how we used to do it in the old days. <laughs> We're going to go analog. <laughs> <laughs> and considering you can buy a flash drive now, you know, like a two gig flash drive. For, for probably like, less than an for Instamatic. Like 15 bucks, you would think they would just put flash drives and disposable cameras. Right. Right. <laughs> but no. No. <laughs> no. Just keep it film. Keep yeah. it expensive. But just, you know, make sure you got to take it down to the Walgreens. <laughs> Get somebody from the other end of the store who really doesn't know how to operate the equipment. <laughs> so uh, Ethan takes home the uh, the Instamatic camera and hangs out in his garage and watches down the the mission that's explained to him. <laughs> like, a, like a creepy old man. <laughs> <laughs> it does look a little weird it, that he's see, yeah. he's like hang, hiding in the in the garage while this huge engagement right. parties going on right and nobody finds him because <laughs> no, he's eating he's eating the nut nobody's gonna know That's where he's right. at so the mission sort of lays out that normally they would just disavow Lindsay, but supposedly she could be the key to finding out more about davian who is this prominent dealer in the international black market and because it's Lindsay, he he has this dream about her and he wakes up in the middle of the night and you know and and because it's somebody that he somehow feels responsible for. He decides to lie to his wife to be and join the mission. Oh, by the way, I got a, I got a thing I got to go to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have to go to a conference that just dropped on me all of a sudden. But I'm not going to give you an explanation why I have to go. Yeah. You're just going to do it. it was delivered I'm, in a PTS report because I'm, <laughs> I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> Look at how pretty I am. Anyway. <laughs> So we move on to the the uh, mission to save Lindsay, and uh, Tom Cruise rolls up to uh, meet with Luther on a motorcycle, looking kind of Terminatory. Yeah, yeah, he's got the black jacket, he's got the sunglasses. You just want to give it up. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not this movie. I do think it's. It just feels very. I feel like all the mission movies have one gratuitous Tom Cruise on a motorcycle moment that that they just have to throw in there for good measure because, you know, he started something in Top Gun and <laughs> and you know and I think took it to the ultimate level in in Mission Impossible Two. You really can't go a lot further with Tom Cruise on a motorcycle than we that. We do see a little bit of it in uh, Rogue Nation, though. Yeah, but it's I mean... Not, it's, not, it's not woo as fuck, though. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I mean, you've reached the pinnacle at this point. Everything is derivative from there. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, he reunites with Luther, and they go to Germany, and... Uh, so cut to nighttime, and they're already on the premises of where she's being held. And uh, naturally, Luther is in a van down by the river, <laughs> like he is. He's got all the cool toys. He's got four elevated key- keyboards and four different trackballs. And uh, and then there's all these huge guns right. pointed up at the... Well, and, and that the Tom Cruise is running to place... From the, the, the area of cover. And they weren't just there. Tom's all like, okay, run. And he, that's just his first, by the way, first running moment. <laughs> he's running and setting these guns up for Luthor. Luthor, I'm sorry. Luthor. Wrong movie. Lex Luthor. Luthor. Um, and then comes running back. And uh, they have a little bit of a little, what do they call it? Tete-a-tete. Tete-a-tete. Yeah. You know, because, you know, we're old friends, but, you know. <laughs> I just find it amazing that they were able to get past the perimeter with all this with all this shit but that sort of also alludes to the fact that i kind of feel like davian wanted them to get past the perimeter and since he's in cahoots with somebody within imf yeah we're not going to say who cuz spoilers 
Yeah. <laughs> Till the third on a, act. On a 2006 movie. Yeah. <laughs> that you're going to hear about in probably, I don't know, 60 minutes or less. Right. <laughs> anyway, so Luther uses some sort of fancy tech mumbo jumbo, which I've gotten, I've watched so many mission movies now, so many times. <laughs> I just sort of accept it. Now yeah. I've, I've gotten a lot less like, well, how does that work, man? Uh-huh. You know, Vascular- now I'm just like, all right, fine. They found it. They they found where she's at. She's on the sixth floor. I'm sure it was like infrared or heat. It was her. Uh, va- they identified her by her vascular system, according to the screen, <laughs> because you know that technology currently exists. Sure, in the course. 23rd century, of course it does. <laughs> so Abrams is already thinking about Star Trek in 2009. Here, apparently. <laughs> So anyway, they find Lindsay, uh, or at least they know where she's at. Meanwhile, uh, Ethan and Maggie Q are infiltrating and planting some charges along the way. And then they create a distraction, a subtle subtle distraction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Firing huge, massive guns at all the windows. And managed to not hit any important people (laughs) in the process. Right, right. So they distracted uh, the bad guys so Ethan can free her. And uh, that's when we get our part one of at least part two of Pulp Fiction moments in this movie, (laughs) where Ethan finds Lindsay and gives her an adrenaline shot to the chest, where she immediately wakes up and is supercharged. Like she becomes like a like a super soldier. Oh, no doubt. (laughs) And we get that fun, like slow motion moment where Ethan throws her the gun across the across the little doorway. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, she like grabs it and flips around and like starts shooting people. And maybe the wooiest moment in the entire movie, right? Very there. wooey. It's very close to a woo as fuck moment. I didn't bring out the button though, because it wasn't it quite wasn't that good. There, was no, there were no doves involved. There were no doves. There was no flying. Th- she was there shooting with the gun in the correct angle and in the correct posture. And <laughs> yeah, position. she actually knew what she was doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so it wasn't woo as fuck. No, it was okay. woo as heck. <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, Maggie Q, or Zen, I should say, uh, grabs some kind of tech drives, and that felt very sort of winter soldiery. With uh, Black Widow sort of having her own little side yeah. mission thing. So then we see uh, Ethan and, and Lindsay jump out some sort of window or crash out a window, I think it is. And they land on the van that Luther's on. And then we, we, we get to watch them sort of maneuver on the top of this van as Luther's driving towards the chopper. And then we get this very nice choreographed slide off the front of the, off the, front yeah, of the van. Right over. Wee! <laughs> Wee! But... <laughs> Works out really well. And uh, so then they, they get to the chopper. Um, we we'll get to the chopper. It sucks that you and me can't watch a scene like that without automatically hearing that in our heads. I know. It's it's really impossible. You just... <laughs> it's, That's the impossible mission, trying the, not to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger in our heads. It's exactly. So... As they're sort of getting everybody onto the chopper, that's when Lindsay starts grabbing her head and she's getting the, that high-pitched noise inside her head and you realize something's wrong. And uh, that's when they see this... Big old attack helicopter. Yeah, an attack helicopter coming after them. So they, they go up and then we get the chopper chase through a wind farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I feel like I need to point out at this point that uh, helicopters... Unlike fixed wing aircraft, which is flying a straight line, can go up and they can go down. It's their very nature. <laughs> they don't even have to go forwards they, they, or really, backwards. They don't. They could just stay there. They could just stay right and go there. Up and down, up all day long till the fuel runs out. So <laughs> having this really unique ability for a flying aircraft, wouldn't it make more sense to fly above the giant propellers rather than in between the giant propellers or below the giant propellers? And see, it makes sense for the IMF team to fly through, uh-huh. but, it, but it wouldn't make any, any sense, sense for the attack helicopter. Wouldn't you just, if you're the attack helicopter, just stay up above. And fire your damn missiles. Right, because they're heat-seeking, so... Right. (laughs) But instead, you know... No, we're slaloming. You're not telling me you're actually going into this asteroid field. (laughs) They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? (laughs) And I think it's funny that, you know, they, they filmed the thing in Germany, but they had to go to Bakersfield to find a wind farm that was big enough for them to be able to fly through it. 
Meanwhile, Germany is far more green than yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It makes sense. I, you know, and I don't even know if they actually filmed in Germany. Maybe they didn't. But the, the van that Luther was in had German on it, so clearly they were in Germany. <laughs> exactly. So during all this, they're you know they're flying around, they're flying around, and and Tom's using some sort of scanner, and he eventually figures out that there's some sort of charge, explosive charge inside Lindsay's head, and so that's when he gets out a defibrillator to blow the charge or or kind of use it like an EKG or something? Well, he's trying to put a shock through a system that'll disable right. the, the charge and that will right. probably kill her. Well, it will kill her because he's going to hit her with a bunch of electricity, but then bring her back. Right. But what's really convenient about said defibrillator is that it takes... <laughs> 30 seconds to charge. <laughs> so 30 seconds to this is an emergency device used for someone who's in cardiac arrest. So obviously you have all the time in the world for this to charge up. We have all <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say right now. Listen, so if any of our tens of listeners out there have any kind of medical experience, mm-hmm. please tell me if you've ever heard of a portable defibrillator that takes 30 seconds to charge. I mean, I could just go upstairs and ask my wife because she's see, a nurse. So. There you go. I'm, all I'm saying is, I, you know, I, I've seen these in the real world. They have batteries. They charge immediately. Mm-hmm. You can deplete the batteries. The bigger concern would have been if maybe the batteries weren't working on the one in the helicopter. Right. But nobody waits 30 seconds to zap anybody. Right. But, you know, it's a J.J. Abrams issued... It's it's bad filmmaking, 101. <laughs> this was a bunch of clever righty guys who can get movie references all day long, but can't take the time to figure out how a defibrillator works in a portable <laughs> environment. You know, you want to add drama? Fine. Every time Tom Cruise tries to zap her with it, he has to juke to the left. The helicopter jukes to the right. You know, maybe he actually hits the thing and shocks everybody. And they're like, motherfucker! <laughs> I don't know, but... They were using like countdown timer clock thingies in this movie. A lot. And I'm telling you right now, I am adding countdowns to the list list. To the list because list. Because I hate that shit. Yeah. Be more inventive. Indeed. This Indeed. is what you do for a living. I don't do it for a living. I just gave you three solutions. <laughs> okay. Maybe you guys should be paying me to write your stupid scripts. Damn right. Sorry, getting off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so, and then we get the final moment in this scene, which is so disturbing. Oh, God, yeah. Um, when the charge goes off inside Lindsay's head and her eyes do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, like the first time I rewatched this movie for the podcast, I literally laid down to go to sleep and all I could see were her disgusting, shocking eyes yeah. in her dead face. <laughs> like it was really... <laughs> It was rough, man. She went from Felicity to Barney from The Simpsons in like a second. Oh, <laughs> doing. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> so, well, let me show it to you again in the body bag. Yeah. Do I really need to see yeah. that again? Here you go. Just That's Ben Essinger. This is for you. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just in case you, just in case you had finally stopped having those nightmares. Here they are again. <laughs> So, so anyway, so then we sort of get the fallout, no pun intended, uh. <laughs> um, after this failed mission. And, uh, and then we get this. Now, I will say this is a great scene when Ethan gets back home and he's, he's just sort of in this daze uh, from what had just happened. But he can't say anything to Julia. And so he's just like a zombie and Julia just doesn't know how to handle him. Or, yeah, and or, I'm, so this is what I'm saying. This is this is that other movie mm-hmm. that I really wanted to watch more than the movie I was watching, <laughs> where this guy's leading a double life, and his wife to be knows something's going on, but doesn't want to confront him about it. And there's just he there's acting going on here. There's right? actual acting. Actual going on. acting. Tom Cruise is actually emoting. Like Data in Star Trek, he turned on his emotion chip, <laughs> and he's acting, and Michelle Monaghan is acting, and there's just, there's powerful emotion going on that's being conveyed with no dialogue. Right. You know, and there's, I mean, there's some words in it, but really, they're getting things across through the moment. Right. And you're like, this would have been so much better. It would have made half as much money, but it would have been a <laughs> five times better movie. Well, and they, we get these little windows into that other movie. Here and there, mm-hmm. and then they go away, and you're like, "Wait, come back! <laughs> I want to see you. I want to see that movie." Come back. <laughs>
So anyway, uh, the next day, we're back at uh, IMF headquarters, and uh, Ethan and Musgrave just take a heaping helping of shit from <laughs> Brassel, uh, who just... He's know, just not having it. He's not having it at all. Uh, you know, he's throwing down files about all these terrible things that Davian has done and who he supply, you know, terrible weapons to across the world and... He supplies, he supplies, he supplies. Well, he's, you know, he's throwing direct questions at Ethan about her ability to, to, was she really ready? You said she's ready. Were you ready? You stand by it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Starts explaining. And then Musgrave comes in and he's like, well, I'm the one. He's like, oh, I haven't even gotten to you yet, son. <laughs> you just sit your ass down. Well, we're going to have some words when I'm finished, but the big boys are talking right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just goes through the whole thing. It's it, and I, the best line I think in this entire movie comes on a rebuke from Brassel, where he makes a comment, and before Musgrave can say anything, he says, "David has gone like the Invisible Man." And by the way, Wells, not Ellison, in case you're thinking about being smart again. And I'm just, I laugh. Sue's like, I don't get it, and I'm like, well, it's a reference to never to the mind. Invisible Man. This is nerds writing for people like me, but it's an amazing line. That's just, it's a throwaway line, but for me, just it's the best thing that was said in the movie. So yeah, so they get a. Heaping, helping as shit. And then uh, from there, we see the funeral that sort of goes into this montage of seeing Ethan's history with Lindsay and how he trained her up and and sort of this friendship that they had and sort of tried to show show off her qualities and sort of try and give it some... Give some gra- gravity. Give it some gravity. Yeah. So from there, <laughs> Ethan just happens to get this phone call from IMF saying that he's got mail. You've got mail. That wasn't from uh, IMF, though. What was it from? It was from like a mailboxes, et cetera. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) That would actually make more sense Uh than say, yeah, okay. So, so then he goes to his little, his little private post office box or whatever, and he pulls out and he gets this postcard uh, that is from Lindsay and there's nothing on the postcard, but of course, under the, uh, under the stamp. There's a little micro dot. Micro dot. A micro dot. That might be added to the list. Add that to the list. (laughs) And then... We get this uh, fun little conversation between Ethan and Luther about the microdot where Luther's like, well, there's nothing on it. I just looked at it. And, and Ethan's like, well, can't you look at it? He's like, you can only look so close on it. And he's like, the only other thing it could be is magnetic if she's old school about it. So also, the other thing about the scene too which I really appreciate is Luther keeps it 100 with Ethan oh, all the time. Are you sure you weren't sleeping with your little sister? Yeah. That, was, that line was. Yeah. And the Cruz turns around like. <laughs> yeah. So that that was a really, that was a nice little exchange there too, where Luther's like, you sure this, this wasn't more than just your pupil? Well, yeah. But that you were- <laughs> there's that whole undercurrent of him like, why are you getting married? You're making a mistake. Yeah, that's what will, and they pound you over the head with that to build up to what eventually happens. Right, but I mean, it, it's right in line with what he's saying, you know. Like, right. You know, you know, you got this amount of time. You sure you wouldn't get a little something on the side already? Because if you are, are, you sure you need to be doing this kind of thing? Right. But yeah. you know, Ethan shuts him down with a steely-eyed cruise look. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So then we see Benji. Yay! So we finally get Benji back, or <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there we we see that Benji finds on the laptop drives that he he uncovers. I think he says like a couple hundred emails or something like that. Uh-huh. And he's like stuff that's very promotion worthy, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it sort of discovers that Davian is going to be at the Vatican for some sort of shindig where he's going to pick up the information about the location of the rabbit's foot that we still don't know anything about, that we never find anything about. We really don't. There's no payoff. Yeah. (laughs) So, but that's also when we get the fun moment from Simon Pegg about his college professor, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about the, what is it? The the god killer? The anti-god. The anti-god. It was like an accelerated mutator, sort of, you know, like a, 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 an unstoppable force of, of, of destructive power that would just lay waste to everything, to buildings and parks and streets and children and ice cream parlors, you know? So whenever I see like a rogue organization willing to spend this amount of money on a mystery tech, I always assume it's the anti-god. 
And I just love how captivated Ethan and Luther are as he's telling this story, like, and then quickly backs away from it. It could still be speculation on my yeah, part. I don't really know. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's it just, just something be. I like to think sometimes. <laughs> I always think it's the anti-god. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. yeah, it was it was the most Simon Pegg moment in the entire movie right there. <laughs> yeah. I can give this amazing speech that you just enthrall by listening to and then toss it away with a very small joke at the end and move back to being whoever I was. Right, exactly. So after that little moment there, then then Ethan basically sort of says on the sly that essentially he's going to set up an unauthorized mission to capture Davian right. and sort of find out what the rabbit's foot is or whatnot. And as he's walking away, we get one of my favorite lines from Luther in the whole thing where he's like, That look in your eyes is a pain in my ass. You know that, right? <laughs> Just excellent chemistry. <laughs> So then cut to the uh, hospital where Ethan shows up. And uh, once again, we get the other movie where <laughs> <laughs> where he's he's feeling like crap because he has to lie to her again and say he's going away on business again. Yeah, she's not really buying it this time. No, and they have this little kind of quiet moment somewhere, probably a supply closet. <laughs> so, or no, they're on the roof. They're That's on right. The roof. They're, they're on, on the, the roof. roof. I remember now. They're on the roof because there's a wide of it. It's one of the few wides in the whole movie. So, <laughs> so you know, and he's just sort of gritting his teeth and because he can't say anything to her. Now, I do. I will say that if we did see this other movie, I think that would be one of the crutches of the, of the other movie would be he can say so little to her that like, how would we... Where would they go with that movie since he can hardly say anything to her anyway? So, but anyway, I digress. You know, he just sort of says, I need you to trust me. And as a way of sort of getting her to trust him, they get married right there at the hospital. Right there in the hospital. Let's get the chaplain and get this ball rolling. That's right. And then they consummate in the supply closet. That's right. But, you know. Every good episode of Grey's Anatomy. Exactly. And Tom Cruise. (laughs) Definitely a, a caring and sensitive lover. Starts pulling some <laughs> padded gauze or something out of the thing to lay out on whatever table they're going to. Some of those tables have sharp the edges. And exactly. Things, He's know? so thoughtful. <laughs> so anyway, that... Uh, pretty much now that we know he's going on a mission and he's married on this mission, uh, we get into Act 2. Or will we? Dun-dun! <laughs> we decided here at the podcast we're going to try something a little different for all of our listeners. Uh, we know that uh, our podcasts get a little wordy sometimes, a little, uh, little, little lengthy, little, uh, uh, a little verbose, a little verbose. I mean, you know, we are two middle-aged guys who like the sounds of our own voices. So indeed, uh, we get we tend to get a little overindulgent, perhaps. <laughs> right. We 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 decided maybe that was a little unfair to you. Uh, the listeners, our tens of listeners out there. And so uh, we've decided we're going to split this particular review of Mission Impossible 3 into two parts. Uh, Some might say more palatable parts. Some might say parts that are easier to swallow. A little bit more digestible, goes down smooth, doesn't hurt the uh, acid reflux quite so much. All those things. So (laughs) you, if you want to find out what the exciting conclusion is to Mission Impossible 3, you're going to have to tune in to our very next episode. <gasps> but Jason, how are we going to know what happens? Is Ethan going to join the clergy while he's in the Vatican? I have no idea. Is Benji going to have to go out in the field earlier than anybody expected? Oh, no. Did Ethan get the geometry right to make the big swing in China? Who knows? I mean, did Luther actually bring the meats this time? God, I hope so. Me too, because it ain't no fun without the meats. But you'll just have to tune in next week, because it's all on an encrypted drive and a hospital vending machine for now. Hospital vending machine? I think you're thinking of a different movie. I might be. I could very well be. <laughs> but uh, for now, we humbly ask you that if you uh, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to uh, you know do the whole uh, like, subscribe, and uh, give Central Intelligence Cinema a glowing, glowing, effervescent, glowing, glowing is key, effervescent, glowing five star review wherever you get your podcasts from. And hey. While you're out there, don't you throw in the stars, throw in the review as well. Tell everybody what you like about it. That so would be get, amazing. It would be totally amazing. And we could get more people 
like you and us and really make it the community that we're trying to to get going here. Indeed, indeed. And uh, if you do have a question, request, comment over email, we have cicdeaddrop at gmail.com. Over Instagram, you can connect with us at Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores. Or over on the Twitters, my DMs are open. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> so feel free to connect on Twitter at CIC Spy Pod. So please come say hi. But uh, yeah, exciting times next week with part two. But uh, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more BAM. <laughs> <laughs>